Well, good morning, everyone. It is so good to see you, and I am so excited to be here because um, because it's been a while for me. I'm excited to be here because I really think that God wants to do something in your life today, and it's not too, not a huge claim. It is happens all the time in his word. It happens all the time in people's stories, and it happens day after day after day if you just take a chance to really talk to somebody and find out what God has done in their life. Now, I'm glad you're here if this is your faith community because I just need to tell you after six weeks, I have missed you. It is good to be back. It's good to see you. If you're new or maybe you've been here once or twice or you just came to the park and you're like, hey, there's a church meeting. Well, then welcome. My name is Rob Jacobson. One of my roles as a, as a person is that I'm a pastor with Restoration Covenant Church. And restoration exists, if you didn't know, to bring hope to broken people. Now, broken people aren't really the best title, but here's, here's what we mean by that. We just believe that there is a God who tells people even when their circumstances stink. And I know some of you have been in stinky circumstances. But even when their circumstances stink, there's a God who tells you that he has plans for you, that he wants to give you a new identity, and he wants to give you a real future, and he wants to give you a true hope. His plans are never to harm us but always to bless us, always to bring us to this place that, that the Bible calls flourish, or maybe to be well is one of the words that it uses. Now, to be well, we mean just like happy, not just simple happiness, but happy, healthy, holy, whole. We call it restoration. We call it being restored. And see, when you ask people if they want to be well, most people say yes. I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with someone about what they want out of life. Most people do say, yes, I got to spend a little bit of time um, on the Superior Hiking Trail. I'll tell you about that in a second. And when I talked to people and asked them what they wanted out of life, you know, well was one of the words that they used or one of the terms that they meant. The problem is very few people know how to be well. Very few of us actually know the process of becoming well, becoming and arriving at a place where we can say that we're flourishing. But the word, the Bible, it has this story that talks about how to do that. And I want to look at it today. It's in John chapter 5. And in John chapter 5, before we go there, uh, we see this, this process through this story. So, Before we go there, I did get to spend nine days and over 100 miles on the Superior Hiking Trail as one of the things that I did on this 40 days of rest that I tried to take. I thought that this would be a great way to become well. I thought if I spent, you know, five or six days of of the time on the trail alone, that I would learn how to carry less because I have to be really particular about what I was going to carry. I would learn how how to walk with God and talk to God. And so I had to hike on and I had kind of planned it out. My wife would say, over-planned it out. I had a backup plan for my backup plan. But um, I wasn't quite prepared for the first day. And on the first day, about six hours into the hike, uh, I was completely out of water. And there was no stream or there was no lake to draw water from. Uh, I was pretty much out in the middle of nowhere. And my body completely ached. My shoulders were completely throbbing because I hadn't worn the backpack enough, and it was a lot heavier than I expected it to be. And the mosquitoes in, uh, by Grand Marais, Minnesota, they're about the size of frogs. 
and they are swarming around me, and I'm like, I don't have a lot of body fat to lose here. I don't have a lot of blood to lose. I don't know exactly how much farther I have to go. I just know that I have a long way to go, and I'm starting to run out of sunlight. And I knew I had to hike on, but I couldn't make more food because food had to be made. It was dehydrated, so it had to be made with water, which I was out of. I did not know if I was going to be able to hike on to my next destination. And in in this process of becoming well, we're going to look at these four penetrating questions that we see in, in the Bible today, in this story today. These four questions kind of go in a sequence. And most of us, we... We don't go all the way there. Because to go all the way there means this radical encounter with truth. But that's what it means to come to Jesus. That's what it means to bring flourishing. And that's what we'll see today. And I believe that God wants to bring us there. Now, for some of us, this might mean today that that you want to be baptized or that you want to renew your baptism. Baptism is just a symbol and a step that shows a renewed, restored rejuvenated, revitalized life with God. And so today, my prayer is that if you have been baptized, that maybe today God would prompt you to remember and renew your baptism. And if you've never been baptized, that you might, that you might consider that today and that the Spirit of God would prompt you in that today. So let's pray as we open up to John chapter 5. God, you know that I'm excited to be back and I'm renewed to be back, but this is your church You've been in charge, and you're in charge today. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be here. We know you're here, but that we would listen to you, that you would use our minds and our bodies to imagine, to feel, to move, and to act, God, as people who follow you. Amen. So in John chapter 5, we see... Jesus uh, going to one of the Jewish festivals. It says this. It says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate entrance, there was a pool in Aramaic. It's called Bethsaida, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. Now one was there, who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to be well? The invalid replied, sir, well, I have no one to help me up when the pool is stirred. When I'm trying to get in, someone else goes in ahead of me. Let's stop there. We'll come back into it in a minute. But, but this first question, as we, as we journey through these, this process to, to, what a, to what a well life looks like, to what, a, to what a revolutionized life looks like, as we journey to this radical encounter with truth, the first question is really, who are we? The question is, do we know ourselves? Now, when I was on this, this hike and when I had time to my hands, I'm this raging extrovert, so I had to find conversations to have. So anytime I was up on a mountain peak or anytime I, I could in the time of rest, I'm like, ooh, who can I meet? Who can I talk to? Inevitably, if you've ever done this before, you will find something in common. All right? Like, maybe it's a town. 
or maybe it's a place you've been, or maybe it's a school you've gone to, but inevitably something in common comes up, and there's, there's this point where it's like, ooh, do you know, anybody else, remember, you're trying to find people in common, and so, so the person's like, oh yeah, I do know, and, and so you want to try and describe the person to see if it's the common person that you know. So you start maybe with their name, and if the name doesn't ring a bell, then what do you do? Most often you start describing the person. Well, maybe you describe some external characteristics. You know, they have dark hair, they have blonde hair, they have, they're tall or they're short. Maybe you start describing attributes that they have, personality traits. Maybe you start describing some more inner things. Now, I don't know how many of you describe like glaring obvious flaws. Most of us don't do that, right? Well, Think about this story. Think about this person that we see. Jesus meets an unnamed man in a very crowded place. In fact, it says that there is a multitude of people that are around. In fact, it's a multitude of messy people. It's a multitude of flawed people. People who have their... their their weaknesses on the outside, if you will. And, and this pool, Bethsaida, it's huge. You need to think more like a football field. This is about a trapezoid in shape. It's about 165 feet on one side. It's about 220 feet on the other side. And then, and then the width of it, or the length of it, excuse me, is over 315 feet. That's over 100 yards. That's over a football field in size. And then it's divided. It's got this covered walkway that goes all the way around and then through the middle. And in this covered walkway, at least all the way around, it's covered on the sides but then open to the middle. And it's a public pool. And there's a festival going on. So think New York City on New Year's Eve. Think Bourbon Street in New Orleans on, on Mardi Gras. The place is packed. The temple's filled with people, and the public pool has all kinds of free parking. And a number, a great number of disabled people are lying there. Free shade, free water, keep yourself clean, can beg for food. All we know about this guy is he's got a mat, some, some blanket that's been carrying him for 38 years. Now, maybe some of you think 38 is really old. Maybe some of you think 38 is really young. But, but the average life expectancy at that time is about 40. Biblically, whenever we read the Bible and we see the number 40, that should cause a little bit of, aha, there's something going on there. Because 40 means in the Bible that something is dying and something is living. Something is being born. It's a gigantic number. And it's right up to that point. Basically, his whole life, he's had his weaknesses on the outside. The term that, he is, that Jesus uses, or that the narrator uses, is invalid. Don't know how many of you use that word these days, but invalid. It's someone who has their weaknesses on the outside. Someone who's known by their weaknesses. Invalid. How about invalid how about invalidate 
Have you ever felt like you've been invalidated? Have you ever felt like maybe they don't use the word invalid, but nobody's recognizing you? Nobody's recognizing your strengths. Nobody's recognizing your contributions. That's a hard, hard, hard place to be. Not only is it hard to just stay in the, the place to keep trying and keep giving or keep serving, it's, it's hard to stay on the team. It's hard to stay in the job. It's hard to remain there. And it's, I would say it's even hard to remember who you are. See, uh, a similar thing happened to a girl that I'll, I'll call Stephanie. See, in middle school, she was a pretty average athlete, and she was on a softball team, and she had really good speed, and she had um, a, a really good glove. She could catch the ball really well, but, but she couldn't throw very far. She wasn't all that strong in her arms, and she was a lousy batter. But her middle school coach had, had this idea that, that everybody had strengths, and she was just this excellent encourager, her coach. And so this would rub off on her team. She would just look for ways that she could encourage people. And so this helped Stephanie to become a better baseball player, a better softball player. And her teammates would kind of encourage her too. And then she went to high school, and she got a new coach. And this coach had this idea of focusing on the strengths, but what she meant by that was focusing on the strongest players. So... That wasn't Stephanie. Stephanie was just an average player. And when that coach did try and encourage Stephanie, it was always in her flaws. It was always in her weaknesses. It was always the things that she needed to do better. You're a great runner, yeah, yeah. But you've gotta you've gotta work on your hand eye coordination. You just you can't you can't catch the ball. I mean, even when you catch it, you sure you catch it great, but you can't throw it. I mean, I'm just running out of spots to put you at, Stephanie. It got so bad because this obviously transferred to the teammates that when Stephanie's name would be called to bat, there would be this collective groan that would go through her team. Imagine what Stephanie feels. Imagine what she thinks about herself. Nobody really likes to display their weaknesses. See, this is where in the first part of the journey, so many of us get sidetracked. We say we want to really know ourselves. We say we want to be well. We say we want to flourish and really know God. But then we're faced with not only our strengths, but also our flaws. And so we do what most of us do. We kind of try, we think of our flaws as I thought of the rocks that started to build up in my hiking shoes. Like, darn it, those are uncomfortable. I'd like to stop, but if I do stop, I might fall over. Maybe I'll ignore them. Maybe they'll just imaginarily go away or something. And when, when somebody points some of these things out, it's the same as having a rock in our shoe. So we either try and hide it or we try and get rid of it as fast as we can. But sometimes when we get rid of it too fast, we miss the opportunity for that radical encounter with truth. Because when we have this, these flaws, we've got to do something with them. That's the second question. It's really asking not only who are you, but what is your mess? What are these flaws? And will you face the reality of your flaws? See, 
See, Jesus infers this question when he asks what's keeping this guy from being well. When he looks at him and he sees the condition of this man, and he sees that he's been there a long time, and he asks, do you want to be well? Third question. But the second question is really this inferred question of, so why do you think you're in this state? Maybe some of you have wondered that in your life. Somebody starts pointing out your flaws or these things you can do better, and you start going, well, wait a second. You know, you don't, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what these other people have done. You know, if, if this is a hard question for you to think about, then, then I would say it this way. If only this could be fixed, then I'd be good. If I could just change this one thing, or if God would just change this one thing, then I'd be great. There's your mess. This guy, his answer to Jesus was, you know, if someone would just carry me into the pool, I have no one to help me. But if somebody would just carry me in, then I'd be fine. And that was, yeah, that might sound superstitious because, you know, the people thought that there was this, there was this underground stream that went under this pool and there was cracks in there. I mean, they were crit- good architects, but there were some cracks in it. And so when there would be a tremor, when there would be um, water that would come through, sometimes this would bubble up. And, and the people believed that an angel of the Lord stirred the water and then when they went down in the water, the first person in would be healed. Maybe it sounds superstitious, but remember, it's first century AD, most people are superstitious. It continues today. Ask baseball players, you know, about their lucky socks. You'll hear a lot of superstition. See, Stephanie's in this place where, where she could now say, well, you know what? It's, it's really the coach's fault. Or she could say, um, you know, it's, it's really my teammates. They're not encouraging me. Or she could face the reality that she really can't throw very far, and she's a lousy batter. But is she willing to do that? You know, I had to face some realities when I was out of water, and I was out of energy, and I was almost out of sunlight, and I, I, I could have faced those things, but I also left out the fact that the shuttle driver said, well, I can drive you to this point, which was right outside of Grand Marais, and it was the first point I picked on my route. He said, or I could, I could take you up to that Woods Creek one, the one just five miles up. It's the same price. Well, being the economical person I am, I'm like, well, I'm going to get the extra five miles if you're going to give me the same price. If I'm going to have to, I mean, that should be $10 more, $10 less. If you're going to charge me the same amount, well, then I'm going to go up there. Mind you, I'd never been there before, and it's called Devil Track for a reason. It's very up and down and very dangerous. And I have the most weight on me. Oh, and in three and a half miles into that little hike, I passed a wonderful river that would have given me plenty of water. But I'm like, well, I'm half full. I'm fine. Five miles later, I'm not fine. Was I going to take responsibility for my actions? Am I going to face the reality of my flaws? That's what this guy is asking. That's what Jesus is inferring. And and we see that this man is totally concerned about if he could just get in the water. 
And so he almost misses it. But there's this point that we're going to read it in a second where Jesus, if, if that was true, okay, track with me, if his main problem, if his main mess is that he can't walk, and if he goes in the water and someone gets him in there first, then he'll be free. He'll be healed. If that's true, then why does Jesus come to him after he's been healed and say, stop sinning or something worse may happen? Let's read about it. Sir, the invalid replies, I have no one to help me in the pool. When the water stirred, I'm trying to go, but somebody else goes ahead of me. And Jesus says to him, get up. Pick up your mat and go. At that moment, the man was cured. And he got up. He picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath, a holy day, a day that they weren't supposed to do any work. So the Jewish leader said to the man who'd been healed, it's the Sabbath, it's against the law for you to carry your mat. But the man replied, the man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and go. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was that healed him. For Jesus had slipped away in the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. This this is this reality point. Because most of us don't want to have our flaws displayed. I don't know if you're an executive or you work in a place where you can have the opportunity to go through a 360 degree evaluation. Where you can have people above you, below you, and, and around you talk about the good things about you, the bad things about you. Often in these, they say, what would the person's worst critic say? I got to have one of those, like, I I chose to have one of those a couple weeks before I went on sabbatical, so I had lots of time to think about all my flaws and my strengths. And I'll tell you what, there was two of them that I'm like, oh, yeah, but... And, And this is a good idea those things that really irk you, the things that that bring this point of frustration for you, or these things that you're really quick to defend, these are hints at what maybe your mess is. Most of us don't like to display these things. Most of us like to hide them. Most of us like to deny them. Or, or, most of us like to work on them all by ourselves. We'll do our own self-improvement plan. We want to fix ourselves and then show it to people. But see, when we do this, we short-circuit the journey to this radical encounter with truth. We won't ever make it to this place of being renewed and revolutionized and transformed if we don't face this stuff. Our weaknesses, our flaws, our sin, and our shame. Calling someone a sinner is, is not very popular these days. But Jesus says in his third question, do you want to be well? Who are you? What are your flaws? What's your mess? What do you truly want? 
Do you want to be well? Because some people don't. Some people think that, that, you know what? If the pain of change is going to be bigger than the pain of staying the same, I'm just going to stay the same. Some people are okay with less options if less options mean less pain. Did you catch the guy's answer? Do you want to be well? Well, I have no one to help me up. I don't want to accept responsibility for my flaws. Or how many people have said, oh, that's my parents' fault. (laughs) Or how many people have said, well, it's just the way I am. Sorry. But see, faking it will not lead us to transformation. Hiding it will not lead us to transformation. Working on it on our own, while popular, and often a problem in the church, will not lead us to transformation. The invalid has to realize that he is stuck. This idea of stop sinning is more than meets the eye because he says, see, you are well again. In the Bible, when it says see, it means take a good look. Inspect carefully. Go beyond the behavior. See, where does he go? Where does he find him? Want to know how I think he's fixing himself, improving himself? He's well, and he goes to the temple. He goes to church. He goes to bring his new fixed self to God. This is trying to do it on our own. But we can't fix ourselves on our own. And when we do it, that's the definition of sin. Again, maybe you don't like being called a sinner, but as somebody much smarter than me said, to be human is to be a sinner. Sin isn't just what we do. Sin isn't just the fact that I have certain behaviors and certain actions and certain attitudes that are wrong, that are messed up. The reality is, sin is who we are. There is a fundamental flaw in us that infected us from birth like a virus in a computer or like this this default behavior program that sometimes I do what I I, I should do but but often I do what I don't want to do and then sometimes I don't do what I should do I'm I'm taking my my kids um to a a go-kart track and and I happen to have one of my children, who will remain nameless, um, in front of me. And, and this father who should protect and should cheer on the fact that, that their kid is winning in first place, somehow left the room. Jesus was gone. And in his place was this very, very competitive young man, younger, uh, who is trying to railroad his child out of first place to win. Sin is who we are. And when we try and fix ourselves, by ourselves, that's why it's fundamental. When we try to be like God without God, we are doing the same thing that happened in the garden. Here's the whole point. Do you want to be well? Are you willing to see? 
that you can't fake it, you can't fix it. You can't deny it. But are, are you also willing to see that God desperately and deeply loves you? Jesus finds this guy in the multitude of messed up people and asks him if he wants to be well. Why? Because Jesus loves people. He loves everyone. He loves broken people. He loves people that, that almost miss it. He loves each of us. Now, I imagine if I asked you, do you believe that Jesus loves you? You would say, yes, I believe that. But I wonder if I asked you, if you believe that Jesus loves you as a total, complete sinner, what would you say? See, there's a world of difference between calling someone a sinner and calling someone a sinner that God deeply, completely, and passionately and relentlessly loves. That's what he means by stop sinning or something worse can happen to you. Don't try and improve yourself, put a mask on yourself, hide yourself, or just do religion by yourself. Keep going to this radical point of truth where you face the reality of Jesus. That's the fourth and final step to be transformed. As you stand in front of Jesus and you hear his words, you might hear sinner. I did. But let me tell you, you will hear you are deeply and passionately and relentlessly loved just as you are. And see, when I bring and when we bring all that we are, not just our good stuff, but all the junk, now we know I can't fix myself. I have to have a Savior. That's where transformation starts. In a moment, the band's going to come up. Actually, they're going to come up now. But in a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to renew your baptism. There's a tub of water here. I'm also going to give you a chance to be baptized if you've never been baptized. But in this water, or in this basin, there's water. And you can just take a scoop and you can put it on your head or your forehead. And maybe it's just simply saying thank you. Thank you, God, that you love me in spite of my bad. And not because of my good. In a few minutes after the song, you might decide that you want to be baptized for the first time. I'm going to ask you a couple questions. And they're, they're the point of the message. Do you, do you believe that God, do you, do you know who you are? That you are someone who needs God and that God loves? I'm going to ask you if, if you'll just Accept who Jesus was and is and is to come. And then I'm going to ask, do you believe because Jesus rose from the dead and lives again that you want to you wanna live with him? You want to let him, by his spirit, lead and guide your life? And if that's the case, then either at the tub or at the lake, love to, love to baptize you. Bring anyone that you want to with you if that's what you choose to do. But at this moment, I would just encourage you to sit right now 
to be still and meet with Jesus. Stare into his face and let him speak truth to you. Let him love you. And I believe he'll heal you, make you new.